You're listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. All right, here's what's going on today. I can hardly wait. Uh, Greg Morse is going to be on the program. He's a columnist with Desiring God. He's uh, a graduate of Bethlehem College and Seminary, and he's going to talk about how God delights in you. He loves you and he likes you. That's good news. Start with a great passage from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in faith so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm really enjoying looking up verses on comfort and courage, and I think it's a whole bunch of what we all need right now because it seems that we're hearing a lot of what sounds to be threatening news all the time. And it's as we process it, we know God is sovereign and God is in control. And we also know that uh, we need to remain steadfast in him. And it's a reminder that we all need to be encouraging each other and sending each other uplifting messages, connecting with one another, because as we isolate and quarantine and uh, get alone, we have to be reminded that although we're socially distancing, we're not emotionally distancing. So you might have a little extra time to send a text or make a phone call or or just do a FaceTime uh, with somebody. Just let them know you're thinking about them and you care about them. Take a short break and bring on Greg. You're listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. All right, it is my lucky day because I have in studio Greg Morris. He's a staff writer for DesiringGod.org and graduate of Bethlehem College and Seminary and uh, lives here in the Twin Cities with his uh, beautiful wife, Abigail, and his daughter, who turns five months today. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. Yeah, I've been such a fan of your writing for so long, and I know that you know and know well the Blooms, John and Pam Bloom, and they're a regular guest on the show. And I've been always uh, saying to Rebecca, let's get Greg on the show, and you're a hard guy to get a hold of. I am. I'm what C.S. Lewis, I guess, would call a dinosaur. <laughs> I really struggle with email and yeah. text messages and all these things. But yeah. but here we are. Here we work. are. So this is exciting work. for me, and I know the listeners will be uh, awfully glad to meet you. Uh, would you just mind taking a couple minutes and, and sharing your faith story? Sure. Yeah. Grew up uh, in St. Paul, grew up in a... Um, say nominally Christian household yeah. where morality was, was the big thing. I didn't really understand what it meant for Jesus to die for his people, for sins. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that I did some bad things here and there, uh, lived, lived. All I knew really about God was that he humbled the proud. Yeah. So growing up and playing sports, I was always very fearful of being proud. So that's pretty much the only one of the only true things I really knew about God was that he was a God who humbled those who exalted themselves. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really understand the compassion, the love of God. I did not understand uh, atonement and that Jesus would die for sinners. I didn't understand that. Uh, But just went and tried to live a good life, tried to be a good person, tried to please my mom. Yeah. (laughs) And so then in college, I actually came to faith when the Lord humbled me. He destroyed. He Remove different things I had my hope in, one by one, sequentially, mm-hmm. and I was very, very unhappy. And I heard a a voice in my head that said, "Go read your Bible." 
Wow. And to this point, I had never read my Bible. My Bible was collecting dust mm-hmm. on the shelf. And so I go, uh, go down one evening and I audibly say to the Lord, I say, God, if this book has nothing to do with me, I'm done. I'm done trying to live the Christian morality. And when I opened up the scriptures, have you seen, have you seen Lord of the Rings? I have not. You have not I'm seen the only Lord guy Rings. that there's, hasn't seen it. There's an, an end part where this guy has these just arrows hit one after another into his chest. Mm-hmm. So that was me. Uh, the scripture is, is a sword and it just pierced me. And from then on, I, I understood and, and was, began my uh, journey of, of knowing who this God is that gave his life for me mm-hmm. and understanding that my sin is an offense against God. And so just from then on, reading the Bible, and I got plugged in with a, a local church here and sat under the preaching of the word. And God really blessed me during that time with a couple brothers who were really uh, serious about the word and uh, were able to mentoring. really help me. Yeah, yeah. discipleship. Discipleship. Yeah. I, I love it. So yeah. when you were in college, what did you think you were building your identity on? What was what was collapsing? I mean, because oh, you're sure. obviously <clears throat> a tall. You're six six. Six six. And I'm six six minus seven That's inches. Right. So we're about the same height. That's right. Yeah. Um, and you are probably an athlete, probably Played. competitive athlete. Competitive. So I was quarterback of the there, football team. There you go. And you look quarterback like quarterback of the football team. You look like a GQ model. So you got a lot of stuff going for you. I had I had some things going for me. I had I was putting my identity in. A relationship that I had with a okay. young woman. Okay. Put in my relationship in academic success, which I was not having my freshman year of college. Okay. Uh, in athletic prowess. Yep. I uh, was not taught how to play football or how to read defenses as a quarterback in high school. It was go out there and, and throw it really far <laughs> <laughs> and run around and try to yeah. be, try to be athletic. Touchdowns. Yeah, right. right. And so now this just was a huge, uh, a huge difference for me and so I really had to adjust to it yeah and it was really difficult and then trying to and there's just new new temptations new things to to pursue and, yeah. and so trying to say no to those things and um so yeah just a lot of identity in academics in a relationship that I had and then in uh, in athletics were yeah. the three things that were and, for, and just being a good person. Of course. Yeah. And that you, you learned that in your family, didn't you? Yeah, of course. My, yeah. my, my mother was... World's best person. Exactly. Yeah. And so I wanted to be just like her. And Yeah. So I knew there were evidently places where I didn't do that, but I was... That's why you went to church. Yeah. To kind of get clean and, and then try to be better the next week. Do you remember the day? Do you remember the defining moment? Do you remember the verse that came into your head and heart that said, oh, this is life-changing? I remember... I was just kind of doing the, the magic eight ball okay. at that point because I had never read the Bible before. Yep. So I flipped over into a psalm or two, uh, a text from Galatians, text from Romans. Okay. So I don't remember specifically which yeah. which texts they were. Yeah. But uh, I remember the topic, <laughs> and I remember that this was incredibly relevant to me. There was a text actually in, in, uh, in Kings where Elijah is confronting uh, Israel, and he says, how, how long are you going to be limping between two opinions? Yeah. If God is God, follow him. Yeah. So that was a, a key verse for me. Beautiful. If God is God, follow him. Right. Um, and so from then on, it was like, yes, God is God. Is God. He is. He is. And that has to mean something. So More powerful. than just 
I should try to be a good person or um, I should try to kind of have him be a, a hobby of sorts. Mm-hmm. So. so how did it go over with the family when Greg becomes a Christian? Oh, man. Uh, my mother was ecstatic. Oh, I bet. She was ecstatic. I bet she prayed for a long time, didn't she? She prayed for a long time. Yeah. And I think it was really, it was a wave that had a lot of um, benefit for my family as well. Mm-hmm. Once they saw, and I'd say I was born again yeah. in, in that dorm room with my Bible uh, that, that evening. Yeah. Just to see the, the renewed or the new hunger, the new seriousness, the, the new uh, energy, the animation mm-hmm. that came in a pursuit of God, a, a hunger to, to know him. Yeah. And the hunger is so real, Greg, because God's word is so life-giving. Oh, my gosh. It's yes. so life-giving. Yes. You can't get enough of it, mm-hmm. right? Yes. <laughs> and you write about it so beautifully. And if you have never read any of Greg's work, you need to head over to desiringgod.org. Greg Morse is my guest. And well, one of the recent articles, well, it was like last summer, so it wasn't super recent, but um, you wrote an article on why God delights to love you. I don't. I think given what we're all going through right now in the world, it's nice to hear uh, that God loves us and is thinking about us and cares about us and we are under his sovereign lo- love and care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with, during, during a lot of those years where I would, say I was a Christian, wasn't born again, didn't, didn't know what sin was, I would say it wasn't new to me that God loved me. Like I, I had heard those words given in that way before. But it never, it never occurred to me that God, through his son, would delight mm. in me. So I kind of had what, looking back on it, is kind of a, a, a deist deistic view of God where um, God kind of winds up the world like a clock and just kind of lets it go. But he's not really in a day-to-day. He doesn't really observe me. He doesn't really know me. He's not really near. He doesn't know my thoughts. He doesn't know my heart. Uh, He is going to to be there to make me, and then at the end of time, he'll judge me and and look at my my rap sheet and see (laughs) how how bad was I. Yeah. Uh, But to to know that God loves me in his son and then that he actually likes me, <laughs> that he actually delights and rejoices in me. Uh, texts like Isaiah 62 come to mind. Uh, For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That's so powerful beautiful that god would rejoice over his people he doesn't he doesn't just commit to bring you into heaven and put you in some secluded rainforest in heaven and just get you out of hell yeah. and, and put you there he, jesus in the gospel says i can't wait to bring you to myself that where i am you may be also yeah wow i love that I'm going to take a little break. Greg Morse is my guest. He's a, a writer at Desiring God. You can head over to DesiringGod.org to learn more about him and his writing. Just Google his name and head right over to, once again, DesiringGod.org. We'll take a short break and be right back.
You're listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have in studio Greg Morse. He's a staff writer at DesiringGod.org. We love that website, and we love all the books and sermons and topics and podcasts and everything else that's on that website. So after you've gone to MyFaithRadio.com and been there for a long time, you have permission to go to DesiringGod.org. I just have to say that. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we're talking to uh, Greg today about uh, the way that God delights to love you. I, I think it's just such a strong, powerful uh, reminder that God not only loves us, but likes us. And I can't hear that enough times, Greg. I I agree. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. So when I, when I wrote this article, it was mainly for myself. Oh. To remind myself that um, in, in Christ, if I'm, if I'm his that Jesus didn't save me begrudgingly, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Mm-hmm. And I was a thought in his mind, a part of that joy. Um, so God went through deserts. He traveled, traversed deserts of wrath to win a bride. Like all the fairy tale stories right. <laughs> that we love. Yeah, uh, That sense of happily ever after that we all enjoy so much is reality in Christ. And so I just, I struggle at times to think that God is committed but begrudging to care for me when, uh, again, texts like Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. <laughs> What's it like to hear God sing over you? It's it's amazing. Sometimes we think of God as either an angry boss or a father that we can't please. Right, right. That's not the description we get in Scripture, is right. it? Right. When when you when He sees His people and on Judgment Day, what does He say? He says, "Well done, <laughs> well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy." Of your master. Well done. A perfect God says, Well done mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to imperfect Christians, people who trusted in his son. It's amazing. And so I, I uh, God, God ha- reminds us over and over and over in his, in his word. I just was just reading through Romans uh, the other day and Paul starts out the letter and says, to those who are loved by God and called to be saints. To those who are loved by God. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a defining characteristic of how they should consider their identity, is I am somebody who is loved by God. <laughs> that, should, uh, that should make you wake up in the morning yeah. excited that with all the things, all the sanctification that I still have left, with all the, the failures and the mistakes and the things I still see in my life, with all the the disappointments and all the transitions that I'm going through, that God would love us. Um, And that while we were yet sinners, Christ would die for us. (laughs) And so I feel like we, and and this is a temptation for myself, is that we need to clean, we need to get our act right before God should love us. Yeah. Instead of God loves us in his son while we were not getting our act right. Right. And then now he cleans us up. And so, yes, we should care about <laughs> holiness. We should care about sanctification. We must care about those things. Yeah. But it's not to make God for us. God has, dis- has acted decisively in his son to make God for us. And now 
We live from that smile. Mm -hmm. We live from that. So he's not cross-armed in heaven saying, what can you do for me today? Are you going to clean that part of your life up today? And it's that joy that empowers the Christian. Uh, when, when the Christian gets the Holy Spirit, for example, in Romans 5, uh, he pours out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. <laughs> that is astonishing. He pours astonishing. out his love into your heart through yeah. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is living in that, that embrace, living from that smile is such an empowering thing. When you go to kill that sin, when you go to uh, find joy in that day. And so I feel like there's just so much of our inheritance as believers in the risen Lord mm-hmm. uh, that that Satan tries to steal from us. Yeah. I love what you just said, Greg, about hating the sin. Oftentimes I hear people who feel like they hate themselves, but they don't hate their sin. Mm-hmm. And that's got that backwards. You should hate the sin, love yourself. Right. Lo- yeah, I, I will love myself in who Christ has made me. Exactly. Because of my identity in him. Right. That's what I love, who he's made me to be. It's incredible over and over and over that uh, Paul begins his letters, for example, even in, in, go back to Romans, uh, to those who are loved by God and called to be saints. Mm -hmm. Called to be saints. That that word means uh, called to be holy ones. Beloved, you are a royal priesthood, a... Uh, a chosen people. These are these are grand identities. Paul is very, 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 very concerned. And he's going to affirm and reaffirm and reaffirm and reaffirm, even to churches <laughs> that have a lot of issues in them, that you are new, mm-hmm. that you are new, that you are a new creation. Live in, into that new creation. In Ephesians, uh, he says, um, you are children, children of light. Did you wake up, Bill, this morning thinking, I'm a child of light. I did not. Did not. But I need to tomorrow. But what, what would it be like to wake up tomorrow morning and say, uh, I'm a child of light in Christ. I'm a child of light. And then it says, walk as children of light. Mm-hmm. So the identity precedes the, the action. It's the living from that. And uh, another one is in Corinthians where it's, uh, you are unleavened. Now, now be unleavened. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you are holy in Christ. Now be holy. Right. Right. And so the power to live a godly life, to live a life um, that God commands us to is not from a I'm going I need to do this to be accepted by God, but I am accepted by God. Therefore, I can do it. Right. By the power of the spirit. And so getting those things right is so vital. It's critical to have your thinking uh, correct. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Greg, there's a lot of listeners I know that struggle with this idea that will have a hard time connecting these dots that God delights in them and likes them. There's a lot of listeners that go, ooh, I hope I'm not uh, mm-hmm. making God too mad today. Right. And I feel like he might be disapproving of uh, me, and that's just not the case once you're born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Right. Yes, so for those who are who are in Christ, truly. Um, one thing that has been very, very helpful for me on those days is to go to where God has manifested, displayed, showed for all time his love for his people. Mm-hmm. And he created a monument on top of a hill 
2,000 years ago yeah. in Jerusalem or outside of the gates, going to Calvary and seeing this God, this God-man, who is, uh, Isaiah tells us, who is beaten beyond human semblance. I know. Beaten beyond human semblance, who is bearing the wrath of God, mm-hmm. who is mocked, who is abandoned, who is forsaken, uh, this is this is where we see this, the love of God displayed, not the mirror, right? So God doesn't say, hey, here's a mirror. <clears throat> Go look at it this morning and see what you can find in it that is extremely lovely that will make God love you. <laughs> that, is not, that is not what he gives us. He gives right. us a bleeding God. Yes. He gives us his son. Yes. Who he did not spare. He gives us a son who, for the joy that was set before, willingly did this. Nobody forced him to adopt a people. Nobody forced him to come down and die for... Nobody forced the the crown of thorns upon his head. Right. Nobody forced the, the nails into his wrists and his feet. Right. Nobody forced the, the scourge and, and him drinking down the cup of wrath. Nobody mm. forced these things right. upon him. He laid down his life for the sheep. No one, he's a, he makes it very clear, nobody's taking my life from me. Nobody's doing this. I do this. And, and John has this beautiful phrase uh, to begin where he's narrating this, this uh, passion event. And he says, um, Jesus, having loved them, he loved them to the end. Jesus, having loved those in the world who were his own, he loved them to the end. This is not a love that stopped short. He didn't stop short before the cross. He didn't, he didn't write us poetry. He didn't write his love in the sky. Mm-hmm. He came and he bled. The display of his love was rated R, and it is for all who would trust in him. And so that's where, when I wake up in the morning and I'm like, man, I know my faults. And God knows my faults better than I know my faults. Yeah. I get to go. I get invited again to where God has taken care of my faults and separated my sin as far as the east is from the west. Yeah. And shows me the, the Son of God crucified for me. Oh, Greg, the love of the Lord is just bursting out of your, your heart. And thank you so much for sharing that I think every listener is happy to know that God is delighted in you and he likes you and loves you, by the way. So uh, Greg Morse has been my guest. Go to DesiringGod.org. His last name is spelled M-O-R-S-E. Greg Morse has been my guest. Greg, thanks for coming in. Thank you very much for having me. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Rebecca Reback on the program. She's an author and a blogger. She lives out east and grew up in Puerto Rico. She was the daughter of missionaries. She did her undergrad at Yale and then studied Hebrew at Yale Divinity School and got her master's in art and religion, her PhD in religion and literature at Boston University. <sighs> now I gotta take a break. That's a big introduction. Anyway, she's back with me today. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you for having me again. It's so good to be back. You are such a gift to my listeners because they, they love you, as do Rebecca and I here in the studio, because you uh, are such a brilliant storyteller. And I love your blog, and I recommend it all the time to people. And 
I'm glad when you come on because we get to hear what's next. Yep. Well, again, I can't be happier to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And I know you've got a seven-year-old son who has autism. And I came across this great line uh, by this gentleman named Kerry Magro, who's an award-winning speaker. And he said, a person with autism is not misbehaving or choosing to be difficult. They just react to certain things differently. Be patient and kind always. Yes. And you made a nice comment prior to the show saying that applies to everybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I love. That is, that is the Jesus way. Yeah. So um, let's talk about uh, your latest piece. Okay. So um, the latest post that I put up is called bed, bed Sheet Slash Sock. Um, and it's because the two objects that I am meditating on are both a bed sheet and a sock. Um, before, but before getting specific about those two things, I just wanted to back up and say, uh, maybe describe a little bit what life is like in a special needs family situation during the COVID uh, lockdown. Yes, please. Um, I think it's hard for families across the board uh, to be cooped up and um, deprived of their usual uh, routines, but for kids with autism who rely so heavily on structure, routine, and all kinds of professional services that they get at school, it's especially uh, world unraveling, if I could say it that way. Um, So uh, I think mid-March was my son's last day at school, and overnight, everything that made his life his life got yanked. Uh, That's speech, occupational, music therapy. Um, On the weekends, he had special swim lessons. He had a special needs Sunday school. Everything completely, you know, like a a house of cards just fell apart. And because he has very limited language, there was really no way for me to explain to him why his world was completely destroyed. Um, And so he's basically trying to I can't imagine what's going on in his head. He's basically trying to cope day to day when he the, the structures and the bones of his world aren't there um, to keep, you know, to hold him up and help him move. So he's been acting out more and having more meltdowns and, um, you know, uh, just responding in ways that uh, I can understand and are, and are completely understandable. He's not trying to be difficult, as that gentleman had said in the quote, but it is also, from the parent point of view, it's also very difficult to continually deal with these um, these negative responses and these meltdowns because they're coming so hard and fast now because uh, the longer this goes on. So um, there was something that I noticed in the midst of this uh, maelstrom, and that is, as I've been watching my son very closely, I realized um, during this pandemic, that I'm, I've been given a front row seat to the drama that is our human condition before God. And let me say that again, is I watch my autistic son uh, respond and react to the total upending of his world. I've been given a front row seat to, to our human condition before God. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, sooner or later, uh, we're going to we're going to confront a, a crisis or a problem. And if we're left to our own devices, uh, we react in many of the same ways that he's reacting. We can become destructive. We can become um, over-controlling. Right now, he tries to control every little thing that he could possibly control, where his toys are, how his meal comes, little things like that. Um, so we can become overly controlling of the things around us. We can actually start becoming dependent on harmful things just to, to get through his day. Or get through our own days. So 
um, we can start uh, isolating from other people and from God. And we, we may even become so agitated and anxious that it's hard to find any rest. So it's this sort of vicious circle of responses if we're left to our own devices. And I think worst of all, if we're stuck in this position for a long time, um, we stop trusting that good will ever return to our lives. And mm -hmm. we stop believing that there's any way for things to get better. So in that sense, we're not so far off from my son. Um, when we're stuck in these um, extreme situations, we can respond like an autistic child. Yeah. So then the question becomes, well, what do we do when that happens? What's really going to help um, if we all find ourselves there? And so the answer to that question, um, I want to say, is, is, is a story. And I'd like to tell the story. And it's about a bed sheet and a sock. So I want to put before you an image of my son's bed. And um, his bed isn't made up in the traditional way. He has a fitted sheet over it that goes down, like most people have a fitted sheet on the bottom of their bed. And then he's got what's called a compression sock. It's like a sock that goes over a foot, only it's a very large sock that goes, it gets pulled up over the top of his bed mattress. So I hope the readers can sort of visualize that. And he sort of slips into it. Um, almost like if the mattress were in an envelope and he slips into it. And many people, uh, individuals with autism, like that compression, like that um, sensory pressure against their bodies. It helps them to, to sleep and rest. So that's how his bed has been made up. So um, that was fine and, fine and dandy. He was used to sleeping that way. But three or four m months into this lockdown, I would go into his room in the morning and his bed was destroyed. And the, he kept pulling the bottom fitted sheet off. And because of this compression sock, it was very hard to fit it back on in the morning. So I was having quite the mess to clean up every morning, um, trying to you know, wrestle this bed back into shape. So I thought to myself, I'm going to scrap this whole thing, and I'm going to make up his bed in the quote-unquote normal way. I'm going to put a fitted sheet on the bottom. I'm going to get a flat sheet, put that on top of that, and then I'm going to put a comforter. So I went downstairs in my basement. I found my a box of you know linen. I found my grandmother's sheet, a bed sheet that she had had in her home. I washed it. I brought it upstairs, put the bed together like I envisioned it. And in my head, I have these like little fairy tale notions of my son sleeping blissfully in this new, <laughs> new arrangement. Uh -huh. And and me walking in in the morning and like in two seconds flat making up the bed and it's all you know flowing smoothly. Well, of course. Um, that's not what happened. So the first night, as um, we went into the bed with the new, with the new, went to bed with the new arrangement, uh, my son immediately notices the difference. He doesn't, nothing gets past him. And in about 30 seconds flat, he's completely destroyed everything. He's just pulled everything apart. It's become this little rat's nest, and he's wrangling the sheets back and forth. And I'm sitting on a little stool in front of the bed, and as I'm watching it, him do this something inside of me just crumples. It just, I just want to start weeping. And um, it was quite a strong reaction to, you're like, well, he just pulled his bed sheets off. How serious is that? But I thought, I have to pay attention to that. And I realized that the reason I wanted to weep, it, it was because it was yet one more example of how my kid does not respond to things in quote unquote, the normal way. Mm -hmm. And it was one more example of me trying and failing to interact with him as I might interact with a neurotypical child. So um, you'd think after all these years of raising him, I'd sort of have a better idea to train myself out of 
putting my, these expectations up, but something inside of us always kind of hopes for the ideal thing. And we, I, something in me is, keeps preparing things for a, chi- a child that would uh, react to them in a typical way. Um, so, you know, my, my hopes were dashed. This was a new beginning, again. Rebecca. <laughs> Wasn't it? Well, it? This was going to be a new uh, beginning. But, well, you know what? It, it certainly grabbed my attention. So that's a that would be a vote in that direction, right? So, but one one thing that it did do for me was this: it got me thinking about the fact that you know I was slamming slamming up against my son's autism yet again. Yeah. And I thought during this hard uh, this this pandemic, there are some also some hard truths that other people are slamming up against yet again and again. And you know, they're maybe they're making and remaking beds that immediately get destroyed despite despite their best efforts. And um, they're putting plans in place that come to nothing. So maybe an example would be, you know, you, you wait in a food line for a long time and it runs out and you're sent home or you're applying for financial assistance online and your application gets denied or you're trying to oversee your kids remote learning and that's not working. You're trying to work from home. Everything's getting frustrated. Um, and maybe even the most serious scenario, you're trying everything in your, in your power to save a patient and they don't make it. Um, and you, so you've invested so much in getting things to work out right that you're completely devastated when it falls apart anyway. So then, you know, I think what usually happens to human beings is you start to vacillate between either going numb because you just can't take in anymore or obsessing over these scenarios kind of like thinking, what can I do the next time? What's the key to this puzzle? What can I do differently the next time to get the upper hand of these, you know, uh, un, uh, unwieldy situations? And, of course, we never really do get the upper hand, but that doesn't mean we don't obsess about it. Right. Um, so, you know, I was kind of vacillating myself between these two poles. But, you know, life goes on, and we have to move on to the next thing, whether we like it or not. And so not long after this bed sheet, you know, debacle happened, my next thing was I was hunting for a pair of gym socks in my husband's uh, sock drawer. And I found a pair, you know, you, you kind of, when you fold laundry, you kind of bundle them up in pairs of twos. And I picked one out. And as I did that, something fell on the floor and I looked at it. And lo and behold, it was one of my socks from my sock drawer that I had been looking for for a while. It had been missing, but it had somehow, you know, gotten mislaid here. And there it was. It dropped right at my feet. And so I picked it up and I reunited it with its little mate in my drawer. And as I did, I just paused for the briefest and maybe what you call the holiest of those moments when, you know, you just take a breath. And I heard like kind of a voice in my head saying, God keeps track of everything. And in that moment, you know, two things lined up next to each other. One was the bed sheet on one side and one was the sock on the other. Suddenly there was a connection between these two things. And while when you look at the bedsheet side, autism may have been saying, you know, there's nothing but bitter disappointment up for you ahead. There's nothing but endless frustration. You're always going to try to put stuff together for him that's going to fall apart. I think what God was saying by just sort of giving me this little piece of the puzzle that I'd been missing, and here he handed it back to me in an unexpected way. I felt like God was saying, I know, you know, I'm here with you. I keep track of it all, and my plans for you don't fall apart. And so what I find remarkable about that sock, um, however small it may be, 
is that it offered me two very bright points of light in a very dark time. All right, Rebecca, I think that might be a nice place to take a pause, and when we come back, we'll talk about those two points. Does that sound fair? Okay, sounds fair. Terrific. Dr. Rebecca Ree is my guest. You can head over to RebeccaRee.net to sign up to be on her blog, which I encourage you to do. And her last name is spelled R-H-E-E, so RebeccaRee.net. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. So glad to have Dr. Rebecca Rhee as my guest. She uh, comes on the show regularly, and she blogs at her website, which is RebeccaRhee.net. And you will love her blogs. So if you've uh, been there, you know how wonderful they are. And so right now we're um, chatting about one of her most current ones, and it's called uh, A Bedsheet and a Sock. Um, And we're just getting to the point where we're learning a couple of pretty important lessons. Right before we went to break, Rebecca, you said there are two things, and I can't wait to hear them. So when I found that sock, it gave me two points of light in a dark time. And the first point of light was that it showed me that God is always looking for an opportunity to answer me in my distress uh, and that he may speak to me in an entirely different context than the one in which my discouragement happened. So my, my, you know, my inside crumpling happened when I was, you know, putting my son to bed. And he actually ended up talking to me while I was, you know, fooling around with the laundry. <laughs> um, that, but he, again, he keeps track. He's, sometimes we kind of throw up a prayer or we don't even throw up the prayer. We just feel a strong emotion and we move on with our, you know, with what, whatever we're contending with. But he, he, he almost like puts a bookmark there and he's looking for a place and a context in which he can actually respond to that. And he knows the the most perfect context and what's going to have the most impact. And in this case, he wanted to get me to step away from all the drama of the autism and and the the pandemic and speak to me in my little walk-in closet there. And so I could hear that still small voice and and telling me that he keeps track of everything. So there's something really comforting about knowing that God is always thinking about my problems. God's always putting that little bookmark, even when I've become too tired and discouraged to think about them anymore. And I've sort of given up hope, not consciously, but kind of unconsciously given up hope about getting any kind of response from him about it. Um, so maybe when you don't get an answer right away to your prayers, and especially your, your more desperate prayers right now, it may be because God is picking his moment. It's not that he's ignoring you. He's waiting for you to go hunt through your own drawer of stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, he's trying to time it when that still small voice is going to have the greatest impact for you. And your, your poor heart is going to be able to absorb it. Because I think when I was sitting in front of my son's bed wanting to weep, my heart was not very absorbent in that moment. So I just want to encourage people that, again, if you don't feel like your prayers are getting answered in in that one context, in that one moment, just think, it's not that God's ignoring you. He's never ignoring you. He's always looking for that perfect opportunity that will have the most impact on your heart. So that was the first point of light that the, the sock offered me. And then the second point of light was, 
you know, there's a lot of talk out there in popular culture, and I don't want to put it down, but um, there's a lot of talk about there in popular culture about learning to surrender when things get tough. You know, it's kind of like just take a deep breath, let go of the things that are no longer serving you, and, you know, you'll be fine. And I think as a coping mechanism, that kind of practice, is is just fine. In fact, it's great. Most more of us should, you know, learn to um, stop, take a breath, and try to let go of the things that are really uh, uh, agitating us. But in the long run, if you're talking about um, sort of fundamental, you know, the the fundamental building blocks of your soul, we need something more than that. And in the long run, you can only truly surrender your situation when you know whom you're surrendering it to. There has to be a person on the other end of that surrender, not just the act of surrender. Um, And to put it another way, it's like it would be a lot easier to release your retirement funds, let's say, everything you've ever saved up your whole life, if you know who's taking charge of the account, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's as simple as that. So there was a poet um, centuries and perhaps even millennia ago um, in the Bible that says it more beautiful. He, he or she wrote, my times are in your hands. Maybe you've heard that um, verse before. And if you go ahead and read that Psalm, it's from Psalm 31. And I highly recommend that it get you read that Psalm during this time. If you go through it, you hear that the poet is really wrestling through giving his struggles over to God. Um, he's really wrestling through that um, surrender. And in one verse, he's hollering for help. And in the next verse, he's saying hallelujah, sort of in advance of his rescue, thinking hallelujah, because I know you're going to do this for me. I may not see it yet, but I know you're going to do this for me. So he goes back and forth between these two poles of, you know, help me and hallelujah. And whatever he's dealing with, I'm not sure what it is. It seemed to me that it was on the same level of seriousness as a developmental disorder or a deadly virus. You know, he is fighting tooth and nail towards God, um, and he has this conception of God who keeps track of his past, present, and future all of his times. Um, and that's a beautiful uh, psalm to go through and to see that um, that that uh, back and forth and that that determination to turn that over, to have that surrender with God. But I want to mention something else about that psalm that I found absolutely remarkable, which is this that. Of all the things Jesus could have said when he breathed his last breath on the cross, he chooses to quote from this exact psalm, this surrender psalm. He says what, you know, we all know, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And that, those very words appear just a little further down after the, the poet writes, my times are in your hands. So Jesus himself recognized when he had reached his absolute limit and needed his father to take over. Um, you know, again, he's not just surrendering, like for the act for the sake of surrendering, he's surrendering his life and all that he's about to his father. There's a, a definite person on the other end of that. Um, and his prayer reminds us that when we've reached our limit, we're not surrendering our times into a black hole. You know, rather we are placing all that we are, all that we hope for, you know, very thoughtfully, very carefully, and sometimes very desperately into the hands of our creator. And we are trusting him to create something 
really, really good out of what we've relinquished. Um, so, and I wanted to, you know, when I saw that, I was like, you know, if Jesus needed to do this, then I have permission to do it too. And if, if for Jesus, it too was a process of getting there, then that is, you know, there for me too. That, that's okay for me to, to wrestle through that too. But I can trust the same father that Jesus trusted when he, when his time came to surrender. Um, so I just want to encourage anyone out there, um, Bill, any of your listeners that, you know, anyone who's reached their absolute limit as Jesus did, that if you can't make one more bed and watch it come undone, you know, if you look inside your soul and there are no hallelujahs in that gas tank, there's only help, 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 you know, only pleas for help. And maybe not even that if you're too tired, that, you know, maybe it's time to consider that um, you need a, a source outside of yourself where you can go and start that process of surrender and get help, um, you know, and, and to recognize that it is a process. It might take lots of little parts. You know, it might start with you just journaling and it might start with you praying specifically yourself about it, then maybe going to somebody else and praying with that person or talking to a friend or a minister or even a professional. But that, that that's something we need to seriously consider as part of being humans made in the image of God that that is what Jesus did. He had his people around him. He had his father before him. And that's what we need to. Um, so, you know, it's just to say, remember, it's not your job to make it all come out right in the end. It's your job to remember that it's God's. Do what you can to turn things over to him. It's such a such an important point, Rebecca. And, and I, when you speak, I sometimes think of Proverbs 25, 11, uh, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. You have a way of putting stuff in context. What you said is so important, and yet the image that you put in my mind, I now know I will never get out. <laughs> well, and if I might add one more thing, and it's, it's, a difficult, it, it's a difficult thing, but I think it's always good for us as Christians as we're trying to mature to put those gold posts ahead of us and say, you know, I want to mature to that place, which is, um, I think we're in the best place when we've laid out that effort, you know, when we've put that investment down or we've, and it could be a very good and proper thing that we're doing. I'm not saying, you know, we're trying to be controlling. I'm saying you put forth that effort, whatever it is that you need to do. If you can somehow try to begin the process surrender there, like let go of the outcome or the result of that effort and give that to God instead of always trying to track what's going to happen and control how that outcome is going to be. Um, and, you know, just to prove a point, in the end, the bed sheet that I put on my son's bed did end up help him, helping him from destroying the bed every morning. He just balls it up in this little ball and he puts it by his head. And that's how he decided to use the bed sheet. So, you know, I didn't I can't control that outcome. But God, I certainly ended up blessing it in a, in a way I couldn't have envisioned. So that's something to think about, too, just letting letting go of what that result's going to look like even as we're, like, um, making the effort. And I love this line in your blog, uh, maybe keep a back door open and a porch light on at all times for a hand to help you and a voice to reach you because the intervention you are seeking may come in a totally different context than the one in which you've been struggling. Yes, that still small voice, we never know when it's going to appear. Yeah, but when it does connect to you, it's God's perfect timing, and the effect on you is pretty profound, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. And then, then we're able to share that little light with somebody else. Yeah. 
Rebecca, it's always so nice to have you on the show. I look forward to every time you come on because I learn so much and your your words and your images really stick with me and I know that to the listeners as well. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Rebecca Rhea has been my guest. You can head over to her website, RebeccaRhea.net, and her last name is spelled R-H-E-E, so RebeccaRhea.net. You can get on her mailing list all for free, and she'll send you the most current blog uh, sent right to your email. As a matter of fact, she's got uh, her newest blog coming out uh, any day now, like within the next day or two. So you'll want to get a you'll want to get that as well. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you missed any, you can head to myfaithradio.com. Check it out. Have a great night, everyone. God bless. I'll see you tomorrow.